All right. Welcome to American Outdoor News. Uh, it's not often that you get to work with somebody that you've known your whole life. Uh, but today uh, we're speaking with Paul Murray. He's one of the uh, co-owners of uh, Blue Line 360. And Paul, I've known since, God, uh, elementary school. Elementary, junior high and high school. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, I don't want to say how many years it's been, but it's been an awful long time. Uh, Paul, thanks for having me, uh, having you on uh, American Outdoor News. Uh, what's going on? Well, I mean, thanks for having me on. You're, it's so generous of you. Uh, this is a great, great uh, thing you got going here. And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, things have I've done a few things going since the last time I saw you. And you have too. Uh, but I am uh, one of the partners in this company that uh, my, my business partner is a uh, retired uh, law enforcement in Port St. Lucie, and he invented an active shooter alert system. And um, the way things are right now in the in the world, and this is an upcoming, uh, uh, an ongoing thing, and a popular thing certainly here in Florida. We passed a law, Alyssa's law, uh, which says every school in the state has to have a push button system that goes directly to law enforcement, which our system does. And they passed the same law in New Jersey, so it's become it's going to become very popular. Well, and why don't we why don't we start by telling people exactly what an active shooter is and and where uh, we need something like this? Right. So um, anybody who's uh, you know you don't even have to watch the news, but um, anybody who's an American, and it happens around the world, but um, in, our problem is in the schools in America. People are going in uh, and shooting up these schools and people get in the way of those bullets and die. It happened down here in, in Parkland. And the, the challenge with these is the police response. It's not the police and it's not like that they're no good. They're amazing and they want to go in and, and, and end this ASAP. But it's the response. It's the 911 system. By the time it gets to a policeman, you know, usually it's over. Um, so our like in um, Colorado, they were too policemen on campus but they didn't they didn't even know about it the campus was so sprawling it was happening and they didn't know so uh our system um again invented by a cop who understands police response let me go back for a second and tell you just a quick about jimmy and then we can get into the whole thing so so we understand who we're we're dealing with so jimmy was the first guy in in an active shooter event and everybody was dead and the shooter had fled, and that's because 911 just takes too long. So this kind of burned his brain, his whole career. And he got a job as uh, uh, selling and working with uh, alert alarm systems for homes and businesses. And he took this one alarm panel and figured that you could um, program cell numbers into it and then call them back. So he found a button that would talk to it, did this whole thing. So with our system, we programmed cell numbers into it. And when someone pushes the button, all those people get a text within three seconds and each button is programmed. So it's basically, and I know you know this from being from where we're from, the five W's of what's going down. The local police department would get that, the two cops on campus, the whole staff, and then other strategic people in the community. And as simple as it all sounds, there is not a system out there that's like that. So you can basically alert an entire school on this program, saying there's an active shooter on campus, 
everybody stay in a safe place, lock down, uh, and do what they or evacuate, do what they need to do to protect protect themselves. Exactly. So what we what we train to do is the is the run hide fight protocols, and uh, so let's say a school teacher on the second floor, and this is after our training that we give to the end users. Mm-hmm. So we bring in the police. So one of the one of the uh, drills we did with one of the schools, and this was a success. The school people didn't quite get it at first. So we have the active shooter system. They have an armed security guard on campus, and we're going to do this drill. The police come. In 30 seconds. But the school went on lockdown. And it was a key card. The cops can't get in the building. So the cop joked and said, well, I could have just shot my way in. And they were like, no, that's a new front door. It's bulletproof. <laughs> so yeah, now right. you're are walking around with a pistol thinking he's the cops have his back. And they're not coming. They can't get in the building. So we said, okay. So the principal is amazing there. And she said okay, how many police cars do you have? It's a very small department. We have 12. Tomorrow you'll have 12 key cards and put them in each car. And this was a success. Nobody's doing this kind of stuff though. So, um, so that's one of the things that puts our company because Jimmy was a cop and our system, uh, you know, of course I'm uh, emotionally involved, but uh, way ahead of the power curve. Well, um, your background is military. You yes. were in the Navy for, what, six, seven years? I, I did a, a six-year enlistment, yep. So I, I joined uh, on a four-year enlistment, and I volunteered to be uh, in the EOD program, the Navy Bomb Disposal. So I went to dive school, went to EOD school. I was a junior guy in the program, and I did one enlistment. I was stationed in the Philippines in Guam. I went to Desert Storm, and then uh, I, I didn't re-enlist. So I um, then stayed in the bomb business, though, as a civilian and did that for 20 years all over the world. Yeah. Now, that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, we all appreciate your service. And, you know, coming from where we came from, yeah. um, you know, I'm, you know, that, that uh, I, I think is amazing that, you know, what you've accomplished, what you've done, you've been all over the world and, you know, God, you know, it's, I know you as a little kid. Yeah, you're right. a, little, a little skinny kid. You're not a little skinny kid anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like an old skinny guy. <laughs> and but yeah, you know, you're, you know, it, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, now you, you know, you dismantle bombs. You, you know, you, you put yourself in harm's way. I had some stories, you know, from around the world of, uh, you know, I mean, I've never been, uh, you know, blown up. I've never been on a site where there was a um, uncontrolled demolition, but. Uh, you know, I certainly have some stories of, I got some oh shit stories, you know, stuff that's gone down where we were like, oh shit, I didn't know that would happen. Good stuff though. It's amazing. You're, you're part of a, uh, 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 an amazing community, you know, being, doing this, I've met some amazing people who have served our country and, uh, sure. you know, served it well. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, um. It's just fantastic. Yeah, you know, I I never enlisted because I was, you know, I was a selfish kid. Yeah. <laughs> For me, Chris, I, you know, truth be told, I was no, you know, it wasn't like a big act of patriotism. I had been thrown out of college and fired from two jobs. Um, but at that young age, and I was 24 by that time, at that young age, I said, you know what, Paul, my way is not working. 
and, <laughs> and I need to make a change. And I did. And, uh, you know, and I wasn't a bad kid. I wasn't in trouble. I wasn't drinking or doing drugs or anything like that. I was just a knucklehead. And, you know, like you said, a selfish kid. From and, uh, you know, it changed my life and for the better. Absolutely. Now, this is a new company, your uh, uh, yes. Blue Line 360. How long I have you been mean, around? We've been around for four years. Um, which, which, like I said, we're, we're ahead of the power curve. There are companies coming out. There are like apps coming out, like um, on all this other technology that we're kind of like, that's not going to work. Like police, what, what's happening in this, in this space is people are rushing to try to come out with a, prob, uh, with a, with a um, product. And they're not doing, they're, they're not doing, um, you know, they're, they're doing their math with a calculator. They're not doing it with a number two pencil and a yellow pad. So they're not doing all the work. They're not showing all their work. Yeah. So a lot of these tech people are like, we've got it. And I think you was the, uh, the apps. So people say, okay, we got an app. It's really easy. Everybody can opt in. So these parents opt in and there's a lot of false alarms with apps. So Jimmy came up with a saying called um, control over convenience. So we really are tight on who we control, on who we allow in, who we allow access. And then we have false alert uh, mitigators in our system. So I told you Jimmy was the first guy in in the active shooter event. He would have been second, but the other, one of the other cops drove his car because he was driving like Starsky and Hutch. He drove his car into a ditch. And that's what happens when police respond to an active shooter. It's not like, you know, uh, there's a cat in a tree or there's a, you know, uh, somebody's got their hubcap stolen. I mean, active shooter, they're driving, they're driving over curbs. So we have to really mitigate false alarms. There's imminent danger. Excuse me? Imminent danger. Absolutely. So because Jimmy invented this system and put these false alert mitigators in there, the cops really like our system because they're like, you guys get us. Where with the app, there's a lot uh, the apps, there's already been a lot of false alarms. And that's not cool to do to cops. You know, we got to have more respect for the cops um, in, 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 in the way they respond. Well, the, it's not just that they're, you know, putting themselves in harm's way to get involved in an active shooter situation, getting to uh, the location, uh, there's a danger as well. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're, this guy just ran into a ditch and he was okay. But like, wouldn't it be a shame if someone uh, got hurt in a, in, in a car accident on the way to a false alarm? Oh my God, right? That's, that would be heartbreaking. Sure. So, so we have several uh, uh, mitigators, false alert mitigators in our system and again, the police, they really, really um, appreciate that and that, that it's been taken into consideration because the other, a lot of the other systems don't take that into consideration. Uh, so, a lot of, so these laws are written, they say you have to have a push button system that goes to law enforcement. So several of these systems, you push the button, it goes to 911. And we're like, okay, now you're Parkland all over again. You know, Technically, it goes to law enforcement, but we're like, ours goes to a cop's cell phone that he has on him at this moment, because everybody has their cell phone on them at all times, right? Yeah, so you're taking the time to contact the police, but then you're going to a 911 operator who then has to relay it to uh, an officer who then has to react. Uh, exactly. You uh, take that completely out of the equation, you're going directly to the officer. Exactly. And the other one is, so someone's a school teacher and they're not a gunfighter. So they have to open their phone, call 911 and say to the 911 person, okay, there's a shooting at, you know, name a high school, right? Where we went to high school, right? 
mm-hmm. and you have to say, all right, what street is it on? Like, could you come up with the address for our high school? It's like, I, I kind of know it. it's on Southwoods Road. But, um, yeah. you know, while, some, while bullets are flying, that's minutes. And, and by that time, this thing is over. Um, so the tracking is automatic. Once they hit that button, the uh, officer or the, uh, the law enforcement agent, whoever it may be, knows exactly where it's coming from. Yes. And what will happen is, so the two police on campus, if, if there's a SROs or the security guards that are armed, you know, they can go, they'll get that text and they'll know right where to start clearing rooms. And um, other police can self-dispatch. Now, we also have a unit, uh, well, we take a separate cell phone and we put it in 911 dispatch. So they will get alerted as well. And, and not get glitched up with 5,000 phone calls. They'll know what's happening without getting 50 phone calls or 1,000 phone calls. So we, 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 we kind of answered the mail there too. And they, the people, um, we have them in uh, one, one of our clients, the, the, the 911 dispatch, the young lady that runs it loves our system. She's like, I love that. I'll get it, you know, I'll get it this way and, and I'll know what's going on. And then I can dispatch dudes. Are you currently in any schools now? Yeah. Uh, we are, um, I'll just talk about one of our schools. It's in uh, uh, West Palm Beach. It's a charter school. And um, they, they were our first school. And we did a lot of best practices there. And we, we kind of got that school. And then we, we stopped. And we did a lot of drills there and kind of learned how the police will respond in a, you know, in a drill. But how, how you know, we, we learned a lot from, from those drills with the school and how people will respond and police will respond. Again, the key card entry, not being able to get in, that's going to happen in every school in the country. Mm-hmm. If they don't, that's going to happen. And they're not going to drill it. So the time it's going to happen is when something goes down. Well, I, I guess it is important that uh, everybody's on the same page, not just the officers, the teachers, the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the principal, the superintendent. They all know how to react once they're notified. What do they do? What's the procedure? Where do they go? What do they do when they encounter a shooter or an, or an officer coming in onto the scene? Right. So one of the things is, uh, you know, I, I always use this as the same example, but if, if you're a school teacher on the second floor and there's an active shooter and you get the text and it says active shooter in the lobby, because whoever pushes the button in the lobby, or let's say they're in the gym or the cafeteria, you're on the second floor and you, you now know I've got a second here. You know, I could stick my head out in the hallway and grab a kid in, the, in my classroom, close and lock the door, blind down, get behind a hard corner. And now, you know, everybody in the school got that text. So everybody's locked down. You know, the two cops on campus got it or the armed security guard. You know, the police got it at, at the police department. So everybody's coming. Everybody got that text in two to three seconds. So now you're actually responding to this thing in a positive way and in a strong way. and. Uh, empowering way and the shooter's gonna this is gonna be over very quickly for the shooter amazing and where yeah. can we find this where can we, where, uh, we, can, are, we where can we find uh in, more information about your company and, and your product right so we're uh blueline360.com okay we're gonna take a quick break here um uh you know we have to promote our sponsorship uh, underwood ammo who um they, they make uh, incredible ammunition for both hunting and tactical, and uh, also uh, Hunt of a Lifetime, who um, they're basically like Make-A-Wish for people who want to hunt. All right, we'll be right back.
We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Okay, we're back with Paul Murray, and uh, you know, Paul served uh, our country uh, in uh, the Navy. He was in Desert Storm. He was in uh, diving and salvage, and you know, he was removing um, unexploded ordnance, uh, among other things, which uh, can be a dangerous situation. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that, Paul? Uh, yeah. So I joined the Navy to be a diver. And probably, you know, more, more specifically, to, this was in the uh, late 80s, to be a SEAL. Um, and nobody knew much about that stuff at the time. So I took the test, uh, the physical test in boot camp. And I had just fought in the New York City Golden Gloves. And then uh, I ran track in college. So the run was easy for me. I was a surfer. So I killed the swim, the push-ups and pull-ups and all that stuff. I, I weighed 125 pounds. I killed all that stuff. So the instructors in boot camp didn't really see that coming. They just saw this little skinny guy and they were like, wow. So one of them came up to me and he was an EOD guy and he said, bomb disposal. So he said, how do you do, you, you do any water stuff? And I said, yeah, I surf. And he goes, do you get cold? And I said, yeah, I'm usually the first guy out of the water. I get cold, you know, and he goes, okay, you're going to get cold in, in buds in SEAL training. And, you know, you can't fight hypothermia. And I was like, okay, I'm listening. What do you do? And he goes, well, EOD, you know, it's not like a, a cakewalk. You go to dive school, you go to EOD school, you blow shit up, you shoot guns, you do all this cool stuff. But, you know, it's not buds. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> so something <laughs> me later in life, I never even thought about it. They're like, so your whole career is based on you didn't want to get cold. And I was like, eh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, so I went through um, dive school. And I went through EOD school and I got stationed in the Philippines. And that was a great unit there. Um, we did a lot of really cool operational things, a lot of good traveling, a lot of good exercises with other countries and Thailand and uh, Indonesia. And uh, I got to surf in, uh, in Bali, which was, you know, amazing. But uh, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. And uh, I went to Desert Storm. I was on a five, six man team in Desert Storm. And our boss was a warrant officer. So he was a very experienced officer. And because of him, our team did a lot of cool things because all the um, leadership understood that our boss had a lot of experience. So that was pretty cool. So because of him, and we were a good team, but because of him, um, I wrote their, you know, his coattails into a bunch of very cool operations during this storm. Um, we, were, we were tasked with a lot of, a lot of uh, Iraqi sea mines floated ashore. So there was one day we, 
we blew up all these sea, li- sea mines along the beach in Kuwait. And it was very cool. It was a, very, a lot of good experience. So he was your Robert Duvall? What do you want yeah. to do, sailor? You want to surf or fight? <laughs> yeah. He kind of was, he was like this hard ass uh, from Texas. And, uh, and he was very, uh, like one of the most mechanically inclined people I had, I'd ever met. And I'm like, I mean, not even in this guy's realm. I mean, I can turn a wrench, but this guy was forget about it. And I really learned a lot from him, but there was definitely conflict. Cause I was like, you know, from Long Island in New York and I was a bit of a smart ass and he was like a hard ass Texan. So we didn't have a lot in common, but, um, I thought we worked well together and, you know, we still talk every now and again. He, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Good person. That's great. So yeah. now this segues into uh, another project you're working on, which is uh, a, a potentially um, uh, a new TV show. Yes. Uh, um, removing unexploded ordinance all over the world, which can be just about anywhere. Middle East, uh, Vietnam, uh, uh, you know, uh, even Europe. Yes. Yeah, France has places that are from World War One that are just, they just got big fences around them. You just can't go there. So yeah, yeah, th- th- there's over 100 countries in the world that are littered with unexploded ordnance. And I had this idea a long time ago to, to uh, you know, like travel light, freeze at night, you know, go on these, um, these, these productions would be very uh, basic, a cameraman, a sound guy, me, you know, an interpreter, a local interpreter. And and we, we go to these countries and we meet local people who are affected by, by the uh, unexploded ordinance or landmines. And we get a little into the history. It's not like a history show, but we get a little into the history of how they got there. Sure. But we also, you know, the war, the conflict. But we also talk about the, uh, you know, the end user. And sometimes people step on that stuff. We talk to the victims. But, but it's not all gloom and doom. These, the, a lot of these places are still thriving in spite of this. And it's incredible the resilience of the people that live in these places. I mean, imagine you and I growing up and saying, you know, we want to go to, to Willits to play, uh, uh, you know, Ultimate Frisbee or something. And we can't because it's full of landmines. I mean, that's a, it never inter- enters into the discussion. And there are places in the make the game a little more interesting. <laughs> yeah. So there are places in the world where that is, you know, on everybody's mind all the time. And in spite of that, people succeed. People do, uh, you know, great things in these communities. So I want to go around the world and show people, you know, hey, this is an issue and this is something that we should be discussing and, and trying to make the world a safer place. Yeah, uh, you, you see it, um, you know, throughout, you know, Vietnam, Cambodia, Southeast Asia, uh, where, you know, they're people without limbs because they stepped on a mine or, or something, yeah. something got so, tripped. So in America, one of every 20,000 Americans is, is an amputee. And um, usually it's an industrial accident. And, you know, you, you have your life in Long Island. I have my life in Florida. You go through your routine. You go to, uh, you know, your Starbucks or whatever you do in your routine. You might go a long time without seeing someone who's missing a limb. And sure. when you do, it's, it's different. It's odd, right? It's like, whoa. Uh, in Cambodia, so it was one of every 20,000 Americans. In Cambodia, it's one of every 285 people. Wow. You see that's, them everywhere. That's a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. And they've gotten to the point where they have these humanitarian groups that hire land, uh, landmine victims to make limbs. And they've gotten to the point where they can make the limb that Cambodian people have uh, uh, a color. And they, they, they've made them <laughs> where they match their skin. 
And the first thing you do when they hire you is you make your own leg. <laughs> it's like, wow. who thinks of this, right? I mean, who would think you, this is something someone would do in life? And it's normal over there. Well, I know you trained for this, but there's always a danger. Yes. Uh, when you go in. So now, you, uh, now you're doing this for uh, a TV show you're working on. Mm-hmm. What kind of bombs or unexploded ordnance are you actually working on? Uh, well, it's a good question. And, you know. And how do you God, find them? Yeah, well, very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you, you know, these conflict, like I've been in Cambodia where I was following a team of uh, EOD guys around. So the EOD guys in Cambodia do everything but landmines. So you have dudes that just do landmines, and then along the way, they'll, they're in battlegrounds and minefields, and they find other ordnance. So they call the EOD dudes. And when I was working with them, I was following them around and kind of – I was supposed to be training them. They do it all day, every day. They were really good. I really was just a cheerleader. But we found uh, you know, RPGs, uh, Russian RPGs. We found Chinese ordnance. We found American ordnance, we found bombs, we found projectiles. So you never know what you're going to find. And, you know, at this time, at this time, um, uh, in, in, in what we do, we just blow them up, which sounds kind of crazy, but that's the safest way of disposing of them. So uh, it's not like we're, you know, going hands-on and unscrewing fuses and cutting wires and all that silly stuff. Um, excuse me. But we, um, we, we blow them up, which, again, is the safest way to get rid of them. But you are messing with stuff that is inherently dangerous. And, you know, uh, bomb guys do die. When, when, when the last time I was in Cambodia, 70 miners were killed by a tank mine. And, you know, it uh, wasn't on one of our sites. But you know, I don't know why seven people were standing around a landmine. That's not cool. That's not how they're trained. But seven people were killed. I think two of them were women. Um, but yeah, it is inherently dangerous and you just got to, you know, we have good training and you have procedures and you, uh, you know, use your training and experience and you better know what you're looking at. You don't pick something up unless you know how it works. <laughs> That's good rule to follow. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I know the show is a uh, work in progress. What, uh, what, is it, what do you think it's going to be called or what are you working on as far as names? Yeah, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, I'm open to suggestions, Chris, because you're a good idea guy. Uh, right now, the working title is Bombs Away, which is a little obvious. But um, my executive producer, who is Chris Noble, who's another Syosset guy, uh, he's very uh, highly um, decorated guy in, uh, as an executive producer, a filmmaker. And we, we hooked up with these three young ladies through the UN and they were going through bomb disposal school. They're civilians. They were going through the bomb disposal school with the Danish military. So they're hired by the UN and the UN gave us access to go to the Danish bomb disposal school to cover the girls. And we were, I was chatting with them and one of them, um, Lena, she's Colombian. She's, and I was talking about women and there's not a lot of women in demining and, and unexploded ordnance, but they're, you know, getting, it, you know, there's no heavy lifting involved. Like, why can't women be good at this? And she said, yeah, I feel like we're clearing the path for um, the other women. And I said to Chris, I was like, hey, Chris, did you hear what she just said? And he didn't, he missed it. <laughs> and I was like, she just said that she feels like she's clearing the path for other women. And like, oh my God, I think clearing the path could be a great name for the show. 
And we were like, he was like, oh my God. I said, well, she's mic'd up. So we captured it. But I thought that was a good, a great name. And I liked that it came from her. Um, you know, we've got a lot of people in Hollywood and, you know, they want to get their thumbprint on it and come up with a name, whether it be good or bad. And uh, I liked that name and then how it came about. That's my idea. <laughs> we'll I, see. I, I kind of like both of them. Yeah, so, thanks. Well, the fun is, I'm the star of the show and the show is my idea. And I have very little say on what goes on. <laughs> I'm used to that. Now. <laughs> That's okay. Now you just got to figure a way to uh, combine the show with your company. Yes. Yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, we got to figure that one out. Haven't done that yet. Haven't done that yet. <laughs> That's a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today. And uh, it's great catching up with you because, I mean, I, I never knew you fought Golden Gloves and, you know, oh, uh, some of the other things. <laughs> I lost the semifinals. The semifinals were in the Felt Forum. Like, I fought in Madison Square Garden. How crazy wow, is that? Wow, that's great. <laughs> and, then, and then when I ran track at Maryland, I ran in the Melrose Games in Madison Square Garden. I didn't know that either. That's crazy, huh? That I never, never do anything in the Madison Square Garden except buy a ticket and watch a Ranger game or something. But, like, it's pretty yeah, cool. Or a concert. <laughs> or a concert, yeah. Billy Joel concert or something. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, great seeing you, Chris. And thanks for catching up. And you're very generous of you to have me on your show. Thank you very much. Friends got to help friends. It don't matter how long you haven't seen each other. You're always friends. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I love it. Great seeing you. And, and tell everyone I said hey. Will do. Same here. All right. Thanks again. And go to, what's your site again? Blueline360.com. Okay. Definitely check it out. And thanks again. And that's our show for today. Thanks again for watching our American Outdoor News podcast. You could always go to AmericanOutdoorNews.com for more great interviews and stories. And remember, whether you're hunting the plains of Africa, hiking the Appalachian Trail, or uh, fishing the Sea of Cortez, American Outdoor News has it covered. Thanks again.